Global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. We have got 13 minutes to go ahead of the closing bell on this Friday, October 27th. The Dow, the S&P, NASDAQ, all at records. S&P on track for seven weekly gains in a row. Right now at a record 2580 up 20. That is a gain of eight-tenths of one percent. Tech earnings fueling today's gains. NASDAQ up 147 points to 6704. Possibly first close ever above 6700. Stick around to hear the closing bell. NASDAQ up now by 2.2%. The NASDAQ 100 index up 3% right now. We have got Amazon surging 13.5%. Tenure up 12.30 seconds. Yield there 2.42%. Gold up 5 tenths of 1% to 1272. West Texas Intermediate Crude up 2.5% to 53.95 a barrel. The Dow up 23, up 1 tenth of 1%. NASDAQ up 147, higher by 2.2%. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. All right, got it. Charlie Pellet, thank you so much. You are listening to Bloomberg Markets. Carol Masser, Corey Johnson, it is time for the Bloomberg ETF report. Here with that, Bloomberg's Julie Hyman. On some stocks, passive ownership is now close to 50%. With me now is Eric Balchunas of Bloomberg Intelligence. Uh, is this more common in particular types of stocks? Yes, so passive on average, owns 15% of the stock market. That's the average. But there's a few pockets where it's way above that, namely REITs, real estate companies, because they're pass-through investments. So in other words, they yield a lot. And this low-rate environment, uh, those stocks are high, a hot property, no pun intended, and they end up in REIT funds, dividend funds. And in one case, Tanger, which is a REIT, small REIT, is in both mid-cap and small-caps funds. It's in growth and value. Uh, it's sort of like the Zelig of stocks. It just It's everywhere. And so that one is 47% owned by passive. But if you see rates fall, a lot of those levels will come down. It's really because of the yield they kick out. And just quickly, how does this ownership affect the stocks, if at all? Right, it helps them, right? But you also have the same money coming in from active managers seeking yield, too. So passive and active will move pretty much in rhythm. Uh, as long as this thing yields a lot, it's going to remain ha- active uh, with both uh, active managers and passive. High passive ownership of REITs. Thanks, Eric. With the Bloomberg ETF Report, I'm Julie Hyman. This is Bloomberg Markets with Carol Masser and Corey Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Was brought to you by the accountants and advisors at Eisner Amper for the 2017 season is upon us. Are you ready for the challenges? They are. Visit EisnerAmper.com slash tax reform. A few more tokens right. No one's throwing Bitcoin in the fountain. It's a, it's a cryptocurrency, and it's one of so many. Stan Roshnick joins us right now, the CEO of Element Group, uh, who focuses on these uh, issues of ICOs and uh, initial coin offerings and all of the many forms of cryptocurrency. And, and I got to say, uh, Stan, I didn't, I didn't see this one coming, that there would be so many uh, distinct uh, cryptocurrencies for lots of distinct purposes. It would seem that the value of a currency is it going to be is one thing that can be used to pay for lots of things. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, it's such a massive new phenomenon. So we started with with core c- currencies that we see them now: Bitcoin and Ethereum. Bitcoin's main use case has been a store of value, essentially a digital gold, and Ethereum has been a, adopted as a path uh, for funding mechanism that we now see displayed as ICOs and tokens, which are being issued on top of Ethereum. And there are any, many other blockchains being developed that have unique vertical use cases, a really diverse technology that's underlying it. Blockchain is making all of this possible. 
it's a fascinating market. So we might have a currency that works great for the healthcare space and a currency that might work well for the retail space and a currency, a cryptocurrency that might work well for the financial space? Absolutely. And that currency is actually programmatic. So it, it has a, a capability to, to carry information not only about the user, the owner of the currency, but how it's been transacted, um, create virality in how users adapt a certain healthcare platform or network, incentivize two-sided marketplaces. Um, it's a really unique way of thinking about money. But isn't the point of money to be able to make money doing one thing and use it in something else? Right. I mean, I mean, you know, I, 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 we, we're Carol and I are gainfully employed to make media, and then we use that money that we get from that to buy groceries. I don't want to go out and buy more radio shows. Why would you ever want another radio show anyway? Really, when this one does it all? That's true. So the Bitcoin, booze. <laughs> Well, for your radio show, you, ha- you had a, a unique uh, mechanism of incentivizing your listeners to participate and for them to invite other listeners to participate. What if your cost of listener acquisition was brought down to zero because you can print uh, essentially your own funds in the form of your own token, which are valuable to you, to your company, and they grow in value as more and more listeners join, listen, and participate? I think that's an incredible tool for young emerging companies. And it, it, it's in some ways substituting a large chunk of the venture funding landscape focused on the seed stage. Stan, help me. Like I'm trying to, I continue to try to get my head around digital currencies, and I understand some of it, especially maybe in the financial space, right? Because because then you have this incredible digital ledger that kind of goes with you everywhere you go. Um, so maybe we get greater transparency. Give me some examples as you, you know, are this cryptocurrency banker, how it's going to make maybe something better in the healthcare space or something better in the retail space. Sure, absolutely. We can think of two modes, one for business to business and one for business to consumer. In the retail space, you can create an entire closed community uh, to incentivize folks to visit your stores more frequently, to reward them to, within the tokens themselves, collect, collect data about how they transact. On the B2B side, you can use this for tracking inventory, um, logistics, understanding where your product is and transact with various vendors, or even for your stores and the uh, internet, uh, uh, internet devices to be talking to trucks and other utilities within the company's ecosystem and tracking and paying for those transactional services. So there's, there's many ways that a token is valuable on both the consumer side and the enterprise side. Uh, what is it about Ethereum, uh, in your view, that has uh, had it have uh, so much more success than every other currency out there, with the, with the exception possibly of Bitcoin? You know, I think it's the core standardization. Uh, Bitcoin has a, a unique use case around store of value, and I think that's what most folks are using it for. Ethereum is programmatic. It, it has a Turing-complete programming language built into it. It has virtual machines that power it. And so uh, on top of it was built a, a token standard called ERC-20 that allowed everyone in the industry to standardize the format of the tokens, the data structure, and all of the exchanges that trade these tokens to comply with this one standard. And it's this piece of standardization that drove everybody uh, to use this as a substrate. Um, so I'm just trying to think about our audience and investors out there. How should they be thinking about um, the ongoing development of cryptocurrencies? So I think it's an asset allocation question, and we've seen a number of academic studies now that show that adding Bitcoin to a well-diversified portfolio increases the Sharpe ratio over time, and it really has um, a meaningful impact, especially if you allocate within your sort of alternative bucket. 
And so as you think about going forward what your asset allocation strategy is, either personally or from an institutional standpoint, start thinking about cryptocurrencies in that bucket. Maybe it's 0.5%, maybe it's 1% of the alternative bucket, but it's becoming a meaningful force. Specifically in Bitcoin and Ether, we now see large institutions playing, um, providing liquidity. We even see Goldman talking about putting up a Bitcoin desk. You know we've reached a point in the market where this is a real transactional, liquid, uncorrelated um, asset class. Yeah, well, it's it's been up and to the right thus far, but uh, you know, it seems to me at some point these cryptocurrencies are going to have to actually be used for transactions. So we, especially with Bitcoin, we see massive adoption, right? And and it's hard to tell here in the U.S. because fundamental things in the financial system aren't broken. But in places like Venezuela, and I, Jamie Dimon, his interview referred to Venezuela, where the base currency is fundamentally broken, where dollars are essentially inaccessible. You see massive adoption of, of yeah. Bitcoin as a uh, as a stable a stable function of value, and so I think that's a, that's a meaningful use case. So, uh, Stan Miroshek, uh, thank you very much from Element Group. I, you know, I, and I would agree that mm. you do see the adoption of Bitcoin, but you don't see adoption of a lot of these other currencies unless they actually get used. I don't, I don't know if they hold a lot of value over time. We'll see. Uh, interesting stuff, though. I agree. Um, we'll have lots more, I'm sure, over the uh, year. This is Bloomberg Radio.